Did I tell you about the golf hat invention I came up with when I was like maybe 11? No. So uh, back then, my mom and stepdad like golfed. And um, so they would take me out. My My stepdad was like a big golfer. He's also the big drummer who bought like the probably 20 plus uh drum set pieces or something <laughs> like i his his symbols were probably close to 15 in the count and yeah. then drums you need a lot you need a lot of symbols that's like the main so thing many... that drummers need is you got to have at least 15 crash symbols yeah it was a lot um the kinds with the holes in them the kind that do like the whoop de whoop on the inside of uh, it that's called you know? a china not in yeah. any kind of uh you know, racist thing or whatever. I'm sure not. <laughs> like, uh, uh, we we used to have one that was a Wuhan China. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got up and floated away. Uh, so he also had a ton of golf clubs and stuff. So they would they would go out golfing all the time. And I thought it was kind of crazy that you have to carry this divot fixer thing around on your in your pocket or uh, clip it onto your hat. So then I was like, well, why don't you just have a hat where like in the brim of it, you can like slide the divot fixer in to it. Oh, it's like a Swiss army hat. Right. Yeah. Kind of like have kind of like a cutout and then, you know, it's got like little prongs for it to fit in there. Um, Quickly dismissed by the parents as uh, that would never work. You would have to, make a brim for hats you would have to come up with a whole new way of manufacturing brims for hats probably require Um, lots of toxic chemicals to you know adhesives to make that work yeah uh my i wish my parents were engineers because then they would have been like oh yeah okay that's just a mold you have to make (laughs) um but instead they made this idea sound impossible but i've i've now seen these in the wild so i think i you know, the golf market is one that is uh, flush with fools that are ready to spend money on anything. <laughs> and I missed out. See, this is just where you needed to learn. You didn't even have to learn how to be an inventor or even create a proof of concept or anything. You just needed to learn a little bit about patent law. Because yeah. you could have just submitted that patent you know, way long time ago, even as a kid, never even made one, never even made like a mock-up out of like cardboard at your house, but you had it on record as being the person who owned that patent. And as long as you were willing to keep paying the fees to maintain that license, you know, the, the, the new company, if they wanted to manufacture it, they'd be having to pay you royalties. Yeah, I know. Um, just, I was so stupid as an 11 year old. What's never ending? To find a beginning that came before everything. Like kids with Dakotas discover the wonder in the ordinary. We didn't write the rules. We just ride the tone.
other invention I came up with was, uh, I mean, it wasn't really an invention so much as just repurposing um, technology, but did you ever, you had sisters, right? Did they play with like Barbies or anything or were those banned? Yes, I have a middle sister and yeah, uh, Barbies, we didn't have like money to get new Barbies. It was never like a brand new Barbie from the store. It was like uh, secondhand Barbies, you know, from like Goodwill. I'm wondering if the timeline lines up, but did you ever see the kind that like you would dunk it in hot water and it would have makeup on or you would put it in cold water? Yeah, I know you're talking. I was like an older kid at that time, but those commercials were on all always. And they had like lots of different, uh, not just Barbies, but lots of different dolls and toys that had uh, different water tricks. (laughs) Yes, a lot of of water tricks. The magic nursery babies. Do you remember those as a kid? It was, you know, it was this whole thing about, oh no, the whites are being replaced. We got to incentivize the children to breed. So uh, they would make little girls want these magic nursery dolls. But like the thing was, you didn't know what the gender of the baby was until you got home and then you took the diaper off and you soaked the diaper in water and it would turn like pink or blue to let oh, you know. Okay. So it, it just shows you how far we've come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought, why not just uh, repurpose that technology for uh, G.I. Joes with their little camo on their oh, face yeah, or something? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because I don't know if you uh, played with G.I. Joes, but I was around the time of G.I. Joes where they were like, hey, this is a genius idea. Let's just give them also a, a wax crayon to draw on the doll. Oh, interesting. Um, no, I to... just said the original OG G.I. Joes that were like the little tiny ones connected with the little rubber band in the torso. Like inside them, there was a little rubber band that connected the torso to the legs. And you would like always pull it apart at their waist to like stretch that rubber band and eventually it would break. I have no idea what you're talking about. That's how they were originally made. Like Really? Kids. Yeah. <laughs> to make them like, no, no. you know, bendy. It was like a rub, uh, two hooks on the one hook on the inside of the torso and one hook inside the crotch, and then a little black rubber band oh, connected them together oh. to hold the whole thing together. But there was still like a torso around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but yes, you could now pull, you could stretch the guy like at his waist, and then you could see the rubber band and how it was all connected together on the inside. Right. And yeah. if you were a little like <laughs> science kid like me, then you broke quite a few GI Joes and then tried to figure out ways to repair them because you just wanted to see how it was made <laughs> did you ever have the kind with real hair quote-unquote real hair the instead of like just the plastic yeah like they uh, i was probably 10 or so when they did that reissue because like original og gi joes when like our parents were kids they were like barbie size you know yeah and then it was it was early 90s like 92 93 something like that they did like a reissue of that of those og gi joes and uh they had like the little fuzzy hair and like uh yeah the actual clothes that were made out of like fabric you know they were barbie dolls but right. they were gi joes <laughs> yeah <clears throat> i uh one of them in one of my scenarios got captured and i tortured him by holding his head to an uh incandescent bulb <laughs> which uh, promptly just burned <laughs> all of his hair off <laughs> yeah i mean that is that's how they sweat you out Sweat out your information, you know. Right. You 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 already knew how they how CIA was doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, yeah, I was interning. 
Um, so why was it, I have another question for you. Do you think this train derailment was not covered in the press uh, as soon as it was? Because I guess now it has to be. It's forced into it. Mm-hmm. But do you think it's because uh, news agencies and reporters had the word Palestine muted? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, and I haven't watched a whole lot of like TV news coverage of it, like CNN or MSNBC or any of that type no. of stuff. So I don't know if people are messing up and saying Palestine because they've been so used to like being a foreign correspondent and they're not like, hey, we live in America and every state that has one of these, they call it Palestine. Yeah, it's Italy. Like Philistine, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be able to get used to that though. Cause I, th- I'm pretty sure my, my grandfather called, uh, the actual Palestine, Palestine anyways. <laughs> well, it's because Texas, all we knew was Texas, Palestine, you know, Te- Palestine, Texas. <laughs> and that's the way everyone pronounces it. The same with this um, one, East Palestine, Ohio. Is it, is it because, uh, you know, people used to use Twitter for news and Elon didn't like that. So he just completely nuked that function like yeah, the second yeah. he bought it. Well, I feel like that's really some of the, be a detriment uh, the science, some of the like science people that I follow on Twitter that they're not, you know, daily posters. They'll only get on if like uh, something big is going on in the world of science or they feel like they have like uh, insightful commentary to add on something that maybe people are missing. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, a lot of them are like, man, I really wanted to, you know, try to understand some things that were going on about the uh, train derailment. But when I went to Twitter, I was so confused of wh- whose uh, information I could trust because everyone had all these paid blue check marks. And it was tough to know, like, which one was a uh, uh, propaganda source, which one was like just someone who was trying to tell you information wh- and that was the that was the uh, sort of gatekeeping of of valid yeah. information was the verified check and now that it's all you got to do is pay for it there's like no way to to vet that especially if you're not it, there's a whole lot of people from all over the country or even all over the world that are talking about it you it's tough to know how to, how to vet that information if you don't have any kind of uh, clearinghouse. It is funny because, like, I know the site doesn't make any money and it can't make any money. But to <laughs> to make it where, like, you can pay for the same level of check as, like, popular streamers and news report. Like, they didn't change the reporter check. You know, they have the government one is gray. Yeah, so yeah. So that it's, it's, like, invisible to colorblind people so that, uh, you know, they can't <laughs> you understand know? anything. And they have and like gold the gold for, one for newspapers, but it's not for any of the journalists or reporters at the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's because the people who were complaining about the blue checks are the people who are complaining about uh, liberal media. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to give them the same level. Like it's it's so transparent <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what yeah. is going on, but it it honestly like. I, it does seem like it's going to be difficult to follow any of these stories. Like the things currently I can't imagine like the George Floyd uprisings and stuff happening again on the same scale because 
for better or worse, people did get information from Twitter instead of oh yeah solely from their you know uh, local like you going know, all the way back to the Arab Spring like that was a yeah, Twitter, yeah that was a Twitter driven revolution <laughs> right it's that's the crazy thing it's like yeah okay so the the point of uh community and organizing and everything is to do it in person um but that is also extremely difficult to get people to do <laughs> mm-hmm. um well and your power is limited because you can even yeah. get, you could get a thousand people together in dallas and all go down down and march about something but that doesn't look like very much people just walking down a street either and that really doesn't it's easy to ignore even if you got a thousand people together like it's still very easy to ignore right right yeah so it doesn't i don't know it's it's really like uh it's immediately transparent to what is going on with the that website um especially when something like this train derailment goes on uh because i think that's kind of like a side effect thing like you know um, I think somebody who owns like, uh, electric vehicle company would, who wants to make autonomous cars would be pretty interested in being like, yeah, these trains wreck all the time. That's, yeah. The worst uh, thing in to, the world. Get rid of the trains. Yeah. We need things that are not on tracks so that they can. <laughs> what, <laughs> what if they were derail. on loops? What, yeah, what, what if, if instead of calling loops? it a track, we called it a loop? And it went super fast. <laughs> Um, upwards of 15 miles an hour <laughs> across one mile stretch of Las Vegas. <laughs> Look, it's that's too far to walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that there there were probably multiple multiple factors uh, as to why the coverage of it wasn't very widespread the first two weeks of February. Um, I think part of it was that the the media cycle didn't know necessarily how to respond because it had everything has become a choosing a side of the political spectrum and when a catastrophe happens on uh you know mayor pete's watch there is i think there is a reluctance from parts of the media establishment to want to point a finger at that or even call that out as like, oh, look at look at this this failure, and which, which when they eventually had to, everything was about yeah. I mean, sucks Pete didn't show up, but it was you know this is all Trump. You know he he undid all the regulations, and Pete just hasn't had enough time time to get these uh, get this <laughs> re regulated and get it get it back on track. You know, so to speak. Yeah, it's. I mean, we we talk about it all the time, how politics is like my side versus your side and how that's going to cause all of these issues because people don't, they're not going to criticize their own side. I see, you know, there's some people that are probably weren't formally critical, but are currently being critical of like Pete not doing anything. But uh, honestly, they're being too hard on him. You know, <laughs> that's what we're here to talk about. Right. <laughs> the the witch trials of of Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> so isn't that what um, J.K. Rowling's podcast is called? Her podcast that she does about herself is called the witch trials of J.K. Rowling. Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, I know. Like, it's funny because Miho's not very online, but I I make sure that she she knows important things like uh, J.K. Rowling as a turf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's and we wanted to cover this last week, but uh, somebody poisoned me when they saw that we were going to be discussing this topic. Mm. They they came and they came and burned some stuff right in like right in your little backyard porch area just so you could feel what it was really like. Yeah, I mean honestly, it felt it was such a sudden. I was sitting there eating chili, watching Heat for the first time, uh, thoroughly enjoying it. My neck started feeling a little achy. My lower back started feeling kind of achy. I'm like, oh, it's because I'm sitting in this chair. <laughs> Uh, and then two hours later, I had a 103 degree fever. I went to the doctor too. And this was, I typically, I don't know. I want, I want a doctor like in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. You know, I want one that's going to be very sarcastic and stuff. But the guy I went to, uh, he was mumbling. And whenever I would ask him like, I'm sorry, what was that? He would like roll his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly what you want from a medical professional, uh, but negative on flu and COVID. So hopefully it was just one of these new viruses that isn't detectable on either of those yeah, tests. Just a novel virus. No, yeah, having a, having breakfast with Chuck, you know, we, the topic will often come up about, you know, there's like a thousand diseases, but only about 12 symptoms. <laughs> yeah yeah so what, what what would you have me do as a doctor <laughs> yeah automatically I mean, guess it's the worst thing like guess maybe it's no big deal and just see if you die in a couple weeks <laughs> man i one of our vets because we go to a place where like we don't see the same vet every time and one of them is that way where he will tell you the worst case scenario for everything. And <laughs> he's just trying to know, get people to put their animals down. He's like, ah, the worst case <laughs> yeah. scenario, this is probably uh, rickets and cancer and dogs only got like two weeks to live. You want to put them down? <laughs> <laughs> Can't you see the suffering in his eyes? Yeah. We got a special euthanasia special going two for and one. It, it felt like the boy cried wolf though, because uh, the boy who cried wolf, because he was the one that also diagnosed like Chibi with the like growth on his spleen. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, yeah, I think he's got a growth on the spleen. And if this ruptures, then, you know, it could be a life, life-threatening emergency immediately. And I'm just kind of like, okay, sure. And so then uh, they like did the x-ray or whatever. He's like, yep, growth on the spleen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've seen him before and Chibi has like some discoloration on the sclera of his eye. Mm-hmm. And I've looked it up before, and especially for uh, Australian cattle dog type dogs, they have like a lot of eye issues. Uh, And so I was like, oh, okay, is this, you know, something, is he going to like lose vision in this eye or something like that? And he's just like, yeah, this is, if this keeps growing, then he's probably going to lose that eye and we might need to take it out and all of that kind of stuff. (laughs) And we went back to the vet the other day just for a checkup and that vet's like yeah it's just discolored there's nothing to worry about (laughs) (laughs) same same vet clinic um yeah so uh i i don't know what type of doctor that 
like falls in between those, but give me one that's funny, you know? <laughs> I, want, I want the Patch Adams of, of that doctor. Yeah, I almost want the Tom Segura doctor, um, but, uh, you know. But anyways, so that was my past week. But you survived. You, you kicked it. Now you're immune to whatever it was, right? That's the way this works. Like, you get it once, and then you're immune. Your body is like, I know how to fight this, and you never get sick again. Not only that, I'm I'm injecting uh, probiotics mm. uh, into my bloodstream so that way it will ramp up and uh, demolish whatever, mm-hmm. you know, fight fight off the antibodies I have. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I don't even want those. Yeah, because th- that's way too negative. Yeah. I don't like a lot of negativity. <clears throat> no. Um but at least we have the coldest storm ever to hit LA coming through right now. I'm sure that will do. It's going to snow wonders. at your house, right? It was hailing in Palestine. Uh, Palestine. <laughs> it was hailing in Pasadena, um, which is far away, <laughs> but not too far. It's on the other side of the <clears throat> the mountain range, the hills. You know, that's what happens first. And then uh, like the next one's frogs. Well, after locusts, then it's frogs. Yes, uh, coming to get rid of the liberal bias in Hollywood. Is that why? Mm-hmm. Well, in Magnolia. Did you ever see Magnolia? No. It's a great movie. You should see it. Um, but, you, you know, the it's Paul Thomas Anderson, and it ends with uh, the judgment. Like, L.A. is, like, under a biblical judgment, and no, everyone kind of sees the signs but doesn't know what's going on. It's just a subtle thing going on, and then it starts raining frogs. And everyone's like, what the fuck? Hasn't it literally rained frogs before? Like, there's some weird weather thing that it like fish. Okay. Yeah, yeah. From like, uh, yeah, like get sucked up and then redistributed back over coastal land. I'm sure when a fish splats on the ground from 10,000 feet up. It looks like it has legs, so it's frog-like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, the interesting thing is, raining frogs, not all of them die on impact. You know, some, okay. like, take glancing blows off of trees as they come down, and then they land, and they're alive, and they're hopping around. Or they land on a big enough pile of other dead frogs that it breaks enough of the impact that they survive. You know, it's not like it's just going to be a bunch of frog bodies everywhere. There will be a bunch of frog bodies, but they're not all dying. Right. And the <laughs> the French are just going out into the streets with the napkins tucked into their collars. <laughs> just eating eating it raw like it's amphibian sushi. <laughs> yeah. Is there um, amphibian sushi? Do people eat like salamanders raw? I don't know about amphibians, probably not salamanders, I, but I would just imagine it's not a very clean animal, though I don't know if uh, eels, I don't know if there's raw eels that are eaten. That's kind of similar, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you would imagine, but... Um, I mean, they, I mean can't, they can't be dirtier than like crawfish and shrimp and stuff. Yeah, but the shrimp that are eaten as raw shrimp are like ocean shrimp that are, I'm pretty sure those are pretty clean. <clears throat> I've had raw shrimp before. That's pretty, that's good eats right there. And then you got 103 temperature and you couldn't do a podcast nope, totally, for a week. 
totally unrelated. Uh, I did eat raw chicken a few weeks ago, but that is that's, also unrelated. You should not. That's not a good idea, Eric. It was very cheap. No, no, no sashimi chicken. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is a very good, very good uh, treat at a Japanese restaurant. Just want a nice, nice pink chilled breast. It's almost frozen in the middle, you know. <laughs> it's no, it's not frozen. It has to be very freshly killed, uh, which it was. Um, has to be a certain type. I was surprised that they even did it in the U.S. I thought that it would be illegal. It seems like uh, it probably is. I don't think so. Well, I'm not telling you the or, name of this may, restaurant. Yeah, or maybe maybe they get out of it for some kind of like religious cultural exemption, some type of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, Japan, famously religious. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to take jorts there and order just the raw chicken. Um, I, I did get surprised eating raw horse one time. Um, Was this another Japanese experience? experiment yeah i guess it wasn't an experiment i was uh i was out with miho and her dad after new year's and um we went to an izakaya because so new year's like you go out and you i mean you don't go out people don't go out to like new year's parties unless they're uh Americans mm-hmm. and then they're like well, you're supposed to party on New Year like you know some people probably go out to places like Shibuya or Shinjuku or whatever that go out to a restaurant or whatever but we would go to the temple and we would uh we would hit the bell um at a Buddhist temple you hit the bell 108 times for ringing in the new year and then we went home but I was like come on it's New Year's let's go out so we went out to a restaurant, Izakaya, and her and her dad were just talking as food was brought out and I was starving. So I just started chowing down on this lump of meat that had just a, you know, raw egg on top. Very common uh, way to serve food. Just, and it was just pile up all the raw stuff. Yep. Um, Cause that's yeah. the way it's really the best way to get all the nutrients out of the food. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to cook it. <laughs> Uh, so that was good. Um, did have we, raw we, blubber. We've evolved in reverse. We, <laughs> we we cooked the food to grow our brains, and then we were like, who needs this? <laughs> raw diet better. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, it's not your main course. It's a, you have it with plenty of other stuff. Um <laughs> But yeah, so that's going to be what I serve. That blubber, I had blubber, not very good. Um, Did you ever do like octopus ink or anything? Oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's child's play. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't taste very good to me though. It has a fishy taste. It, it doesn't seem like it would taste good. No, it's it's the texture is strange too. It's like almost kind of gritty. Mm-hmm. Um, very slimy, gritty, um, but it's it's not bad when it's added to whatever. I just had it with. I'm sure I just had it with octopus that like you could dip it in kind of the ink or whatever. Have you done the one where the octopus is still like alive when they bring it to the table? No, I haven't seen that anywhere. Um, I know it's bigger in Korea than 
the u.s but they'll like chop it up and then like sprinkle kind of salt on it mm-hmm. so it's like wriggling yeah, around it all curl up and everything that's got to just be the uh like the muscle fibers like firing because of the salt i would imagine well, they they got they got their brains that reach all the way down into the tentacles too they might be feeling shit down there. I don't know. <laughs> they're probably feeling it when they're chopped up, but not after it's chopped up is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those ones that it's the full octopus that you wrap around so that the tentacles don't, you know, stick onto your throat. That I don't think I can do. That's where you draw the line? Yeah, uh, morally. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. good. It's I- good to know you have a line. <laughs> I, I have a line, yeah. Um, other people in my family, I think, are much more adventurous. Uh, <laughs> Miho's a big fan of durian, the the fruit. Okay, what's... You know, like the, the Thai fruit that smells like a corpse. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, That's that sneaky which... fruit they brought to us in science class, and you're like, wait till, you, wait till we cut this one open. And you're like, why? Why did you yeah. do it? Yeah. <laughs> Not all fruits are sweet, dumb kids. <laughs> Ever had a tomato? Um, anyways, yes. Suffice it to say, I'm feeling better. Well, that's good. It's good. Um, well, I guess uh, that's pretty much the show. Thanks. Sorry. I got I got off on a tangent. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, yeah, so uh, did, did you guys know that uh, the NTSB... Uh, you know, anytime a plane crashes, like the NTSB finds every single piece of scrap of that plane and they put it all back together in a warehouse somewhere. And they sometimes take one, maybe two years to analyze everything with on a granular level so they can know exactly what went wrong in that plane. If it was a pilot error, if it was a mechanical error, everything that went through that disaster. And then, you know, they'll eventually release a report very highly annotated report, lots of experts, you know, who've done lots of science experiments with everything that they recovered. And it'll be very thorough. And then that is then used to regulate the airline industry and force them to make changes to mechanical repairs and other things across fleets of aircraft and then just general operations for different airlines. So they don't have to do that for trains. I'm sure they do something very similar, though, right? Well, no, not really. <laughs> they, in fact, I mean, well, uh, unless, in to... fact, unless there is a human casualty in a train derailment, the NTSB usually doesn't even do a report or an investigation. Oh, huh. well, that's good because they only happen a few times a year. And in, in fact, this one would not have fallen under the guidelines of an NTSB train derailment investigation, except for the fact that it gained national uh, newsworthiness and there was enough people freaking out about the way that the cleanup was happening and the way that the oversight was going that the NTSB was like, well, it is, I guess, our job to uh, serve the public and the public seems to be interested in this one, so I guess we'll make an exception in this case. Is it... I mean, would it not fall under the purview if, I guess any train exploding is going to get enough attention, though? Maybe. I don't know, though. So, But I, it would not have, 
I'm, I think I, the... if if this goes down in the Nevada desert, I don't know if anyone ever knows about it. Man, well, that's not good. <laughs> and like, there have been other hazmat level derailments in uh, places like New Mexico near uh, 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 tribal lands, and you just, no one, no one ever knows about any of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they got a different police force out there. I've seen reservation dogs. They got a different Twitter. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I I was looking up like all the history of train derailments and stuff. And um, between 2001 and 2009, there were 9,000 derailments that caused $2 billion in damages. Just not, I guess, a whole lot of money spread across 10 years. Yeah, yeah. You just do that cost-benefit analysis, and you're like, uh, what would the new brakes cost? What would fixing up some of these rails cost? It's not, it's not a bad... It's probably less than... It's probably more than $200 million a year over 10 years. So maybe yeah, they're yeah. making the right business deal. <laughs> to implement the new braking system across like all trail train rails... Uh, train cars, train car, yeah, rail there. train, train cars. Right. Um, I haven't spoken to anybody in like two weeks, so that's <laughs> why so I'm weird. just. Uh, so syntax is just tough sometimes. <laughs> uh, so the cost of implementing those, like the new type of brakes that this uh train did not have, was going to be like three billion dollars. Um which is roughly two weeks of operating revenue in a typical year. But that's so, like, that's, that's all you're making that year. Like you're breaking even 50 weeks out of the year and then two weeks are for you. That's the way you run a business. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, interestingly, didn't they like last year buy back $10 billion <laughs> in stock? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, some people know how to run th- run a tighter ship. They're able to squeeze a little more profit out. And do we begrudge them making good business decisions? To run this country like a business. We, we um, just need a good, you know, someone with an entrepreneurial mindset to, like, be in charge. I found the the comparison with, like, the Japanese Transportation Safety Board uh, interesting, too. The JTSB? Um, yeah, the JTSB. Um, considering from 2000, let's see. Actually, let's go to the list of that uh, Justin found. Uh, essentially, between 2005 and 2022, uh, oh, Jesus Christ. I why did I crop it right where the total isn't? <laughs> um there was like I don't know 100 derailments or something. Uh but I did the math for us because uh the US has what 140,000 miles of uh rail tracks in the US. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's going to the be country. there's going to be more miles of rail than in Japan, right? Right, and Japan has uh, 19,000 miles of uh, tracks. Japan, very mountainous. Um, I think like 
it might be more, but I think like 70% of the country is just uninhabitable because it's, it's too steep to build anything mm-hmm. on. Uh, and the, so I did like the math to figure out how many derailments per mile per year are there. And in the U S there is 0.012 derailments per mile per year. And in Japan, there's 0.000523 derailments per mile per year. So still less than one. It is a 29 uh, time difference between the two countries. Um, And I think that it's very clear to see kind of that difference because, you know, Japan has like way higher tech uh, train stuff going on Mm. they have better trains they have better um safety regulations and everything like that uh but as we're just kind of talking about like all of that can be implemented in the u.s (laughs) at in increments you know like you can you can add proper brakes to the train cars for three billion dollars see for one year the 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 main issue is that we're just hung up we're still hung up about the the original building of the mighty railroads of, of America that, you know, we're like first to the railroads in the world. Everyone copies us afterwards, you know, because that's the way that we were able to move goods with our giant steam engines from one coast to the other coast. Of course, to build all that, you, you don't want to pay people to build right. that stuff. Right. That would right. you wouldn't be able to turn a profit if you had to, like, pay for the labor. You see, you just try to get enough slave labor to do it. And now they just won't let us do that anymore. So how are we going to really improve any of the trains if we don't have slavery? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a tough thing, uh, but maybe they can get some gig workers to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's just one, there's only one way to do things in this country and we just, we, someone's going to have to make a concession. (laughs) (laughs) Of the people that we currently have doing like railway track inspections too, there's only 2,500 people as of uh, 2016. And each day they're responsible for monitoring between 65 to 80 miles of track. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of the times they have to do it by either slow moving vehicles or on foot. And whenever like trains need to come through, they're just like, get off the track i need to come (laughs) so they just (laughs) they're forced to just not inspect a lot of uh the area that they're supposed to i don't know i think it's considering there's uh nearly 30 million carloads of freight being moved every year it's it's one of those things that feels like a very american problem yeah um a perpetual decline that is engineered into the system This whole thing, researching a bunch of it, reminded me a lot of engineering days Um, here in Texas. Like we got involved with a lot of um, dam building projects or or dam like uh, maintenance projects. And the language. What would happen was it very similar to like the the phenomenon we talked about with developing fusion energy. Um, The state would be like, "Oh man, you know." 80% 80% of the dams in our state are between 80 and 100 years old. <laughs> like the plans that were used to build these things in the 1920s were all drawn by hand and you have like copies of a copy of a copy of them in the records office to find it. And it's like 
back when people didn't even print on the, on their drawings. It's like fancy Titanic era cursive and stuff that you have to read to try to see if like things were done. And the, the way people designed stuff was way different back then, especially with steel and concrete. Like the the understandings of the efficiencies of those things had not been figured out yet. Um, so a lot of things are underdesigned and a lot of things have problems. And, you know, a lot of dams are like, in critical disrepair like they're about to collapse um and fail but the only thing that the state does is they give enough money to have just a handful of engineers do a bunch of feasibility studies and then the engineers will go out and be like yep all these dams are really bad you guys are going to need to spend a whole lot of money to fix and replace a lot of them Here's our feasibility study. And then the state will be like, hmm, that doesn't seem feasible. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, well, we told you. And the uh, timeline, when you give a feasibility study like that, you, you say, these are the projections of what happens if you do these things now. If you wait five years, if you wait 10 years, if you wait 15 years. And usually by the time you get to like the 10-year horizon, you're like, well, we're going to have to do another feasibility study to see what's changed in the field again. So everything that happens is just like, the state will get one done and then maybe it'll highlight 1% of the dams that they're willing to actually do something about and repair. But then they just kick all the other ones down the road and then until that 10-year cycle starts over again and then all of those get included in the feasibility study again and they'll be like, oh, maybe we'll fix like 1% of them and it goes again. And then eventually you have major flooding events in Texas and hurricanes and Harvey and then all that like the reason Houston flooded was because a whole lot of ancient dams that were all in rural areas that protect Houston, lots of them failed because of the all the water. And those had been a parts of feasibility studies for decades saying these things need to be remediated. And you just, it never gets done because it's just, it's easier to stay on this cycle of never actually spending the money to do it and always promising we're going to spend the money to do it. It's it yeah it's easier for the short term and the profit <laughs> incentive for sure. The I mean it feels the same as homelessness. If you I mean it's obviously the same as anything in this country. But like we went to a local homelessness, uh, I don't know community meeting because our city has like a I forget what they call them. I think like homelessness homeless liaison or something. I don't know. I forget her title. You guys are a sanctuary uh, city for the homeless. Uh, I mean, they have pretty good uh, resources, it seems like, but you know, it's obviously not permanent housing, which is, uh, you know, I'm just banging my head against the wall, just like just buy one hotel, like that's <laughs> no, no. What if we not, what if we bought a cruise ship and just left it like way out there, just off the coast, just just hangs yeah. out out there? Yeah, isn't that your liberal bastion, San Francisco's idea? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's, they were telling us too, they're like, yeah, yeah, we, uh, we got this funding from the federal government. Uh, it has to be spent by 2030. So please answer these survey questions to tell us how you want us to spend this $1 million. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, good God, dude. Let's invest like, it all in tech stocks, double our money, then invest all that in crypto, triple our money. Then we've got $6 million. Yeah, aren't there like some some Congress people trying to get uh, Social Security invested in crypto? Yeah, you want you want the free market to help because that's only going to ramp up these four hundred one ks faster. <laughs> the the capitalism uh, discussion 
has been driving me nuts just because like, especially with the non-compete thing as I'm making my salad every day, it's like it, it non-competes are capitalism. It yeah. is not, not capitalism. It is capitalism. Uh, it, because it, <laughs> I mean, capitalism is just now at like that high level, just the manipulation of money. And it's just, in, it's so like, uh, I know I'm not the only one waiting for it to blow up, but when is it going to blow up in their face? Well, I think that's, that is a big um, mistake, a category mistake that a lot of people make by not really understanding the economic system that they live in. They, they conflate free market with capitalism as if they are that it, they're synonyms because everyone especially uh libertarian and republican leaning types do often talk about free market capitalism um but really capitalism is about you striving for capital maximizing your capital which is why like slavery is capitalism because that helps you maximize your profit like if right. you have to pay workers that's not capitalism <laughs> so. yeah yeah it's uh, i mean i'm i texted you guys about the 30 years war podcast mm -hmm. yesterday but it's just it's it's so good and uh i'm sad that justin's not listening to it considering how much he thinks that neo-feudalism is totally made up and thinks feudalism never existed i don't think that's what begin he said with. pretty sure that's <laughs> verbatim and uh <laughs> It's just, it's, it's one of those things like seeing how it's built and how it's perpetuated. Like, you know, they got to the point where they're talking about like the, they're trying to work out these treaties and what are the treaties over? It's not like, this is my land. This is your land. It's like, we want the, uh, like Dutch East India company to have the rights to this trade route and thing like mm -hmm. it is, it is the formation of those sorts of things where they, they didn't want to build this system. That's going to be like, Oh, well this would justify, uh, having trains that fall apart in the U S constantly. It's no, they just didn't want the Spanish involved in <laughs> this money. Right. You want to, you want to, <laughs> you want to monopolize your ability to gain capital and cut out all your competitors. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's capitalism. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. So it's it's one of those things. I don't I don't have a whole lot on the actual like train derailment thing just because it's it's frustrating to watch but at the same time like we know what the problem is, right? Yeah. And the like the NTSB did release a preliminary report this morning. Um and I think they're supposed to follow it up with a more final report later today. Um but even then that's not going to be the big NTSB report that might be released in, in a year when they have a lot more information and they've get done. The, the other thing that's happening is Norfolk Southern is trying to get out ahead of it real fast and like, we're doing all the cleanup. Don't worry about it. Right. <clears throat> we're taking care of this. Uh, we'll get that. And not only that, we're going to have this railroad right back up and running tomorrow. It's <laughs> we're not going to lose a day's worth of productivity. Um, the, uh, the issue is when you have like a an environmental concern like this, you can do a lot of clean initial cleanup of spilt things, and even if it's burned stuff, you can do a early initial cleanup. But when things get into um, the soil, 
they will affect the lower level water table. And what happens is that you get recontamination events every time it rains. So what the EPA has to do when they go in there and look after Norfolk Southern's done their initial cleanup is really test the soil and say, there's going to need to be eight, 10 feet deep of this huge section just completely removed, treated, and then re-put back in the ground again. And that is going to be a huge project. Um, right now, there has been um, initial reports that uh, the Norfolk Southern did remove like 4,000 cubic yards of soil, which sounds like a lot, but it's not really that much. Um, but it's going to require a whole lot more because once any of this stuff gets into the ground, like like I said, it, it affects the different layers of the soil and those different layers of soil hold the hold the stuff in different ways. And then when those are interacted with water from rain, they release at different time scales too. Um, so you're going to be getting a lot of recontamination events, which is why the NTSB is going to have to study this for like a year to really understand the damages. So then when they make a recommendation or a report at the end of it, they have a comprehensive understanding of what the whole disaster was. Because you're... We're not even going to be able to know what it was It's for a while. It's going to take months and months and months of testing and monitoring to really know yeah. the extent. Did you say 4,000 yards, cubic yards? Cubic yards, yeah. <laughs> that is less than one football field, excluding the end zones. Yeah, well, cubic yards, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, be, yeah, one yard deep of yeah, yeah. less than uh, one football field. So yeah, that's that's like a... That's a joke size. Um, I could do that. Give me a backhoe in four hours. <laughs> Have you ever tried to dig a dig a hole like when you were a kid? Tried to dig like a trench in your backyard or a tunnel? Not only did I did I help dig a hole, I installed a fence in our backyard when I was a kid. There you go. Posts, Posts and all. Hole digger. Yeah. Yep. We had like a hill. Um, so where, where our house was in Farmer's Branch, it was by Rawhide Creek and like the creek had been, you know, dammed up and turned into like a metropolitan waterway. But back in the day before in the original watershed, like the, it was part of the, a tributary of the Trinity river and it was really wide. So even though our house was like two blocks from the creek, it was on the embankment of the original river. So like our backyard was like a big hill that went down towards the, where the creek was um and so i would dig tunnels into the side of the hill you know like little caves <laughs> yeah. and stuff in there and uh it was because i will always wanted to play my my imaginary games as a homeschool kid were, were always civil war and world war one so i needed like right. lots of trenches and you know <laughs> encampments and underground holes to hide in yeah so i was a weird kid but yeah digging Hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Digging is great. I I had a friend in college that swore I would not be able to chop down a tree if given time and an axe. And I I still want to chop down a tree. I could chop down a tree. People chop down trees. It's not that hard. <laughs> oh, chopping down trees is hard. <laughs> okay, it's it's labor intensive, but you can you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. If you There's if you've never done it before, if you go out just with an axe and you pick just your any standard 18 inch diameter tree, you know, not we're not talking little saplings. You're talking about something you can cut down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I bet you it would take you four days. 
All right. Well, uh, and and you would probably get worried about day two because you're really worried about the stability of where this thing is going to fall, and you're trying to like gauge which side now to chop from to like balance it out, and you're not sure. You're having to come up with weird ideas of like tying a rope around one side, tying it to another tree, so it doesn't accidentally fall on you. No, I know how to chop down a tree. <laughs> Find me a tree for July. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we'll we'll go we'll go over by White Rock Lake. Find a find an old crepe myrtle for you to murder. <laughs> if anybody has a tree they want knocked down, KJ, I'm sure that tree has regrown in your backyard. Uh, well, I will he, come he knock sold, it down. He sold oh wait, yeah, he he's, he's Wisconsin boy now. <laughs> right. but I, I'm sure he'd love for you to come shovel some snow for him this weekend if, you, if you're offering <laughs> hey. up labor. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling great now. <laughs> um. So I wanted to look at like the chemicals some that are in this uh in these vats that they burned off. Mm-hmm. Um uh I, I mean it was like all vinyl chloride, right? That they're they were transporting in these five cars that Yeah, they... the the main danger containment and the reason why they did the controlled burn was the for fear of the explosion of the vinyl chloride. But they they right. were transmitting other chemicals and other plastic those little plastic beads that they melt down to mold new plastics. That, yeah. And the and they had like uh one was um uh propane or uh not propane, what's the camping fuel called butane no not butane the liquid uh fuel i can't think of things right now kerosene kerosene there you go um see we're outdoorsy yeah uh so the yeah i mean they didn't burn any of those or did they I, I think I think parts of those ended up getting burned as part of the release because the that fire was fucking huge yeah, that's true. I don't know. Um, and if you see the the map of like the drone aerial shot where everything's all collapsed on each other, you know, accordioned on each other where the derailment happened, I'm not sure how they could have isolated burns in any of the any of the tankers without it burning a bunch of that plastics and adhesives and everything else that was all around. Yeah, so I guess just excluding all of that kind of stuff, the the main chemical that people are talking about that uh is the dangerous one i guess i would focus on just because the distinction is important to make because i'm sure burning other plastics alongside (laughs) burning a pre-plastic is uh not great (laughs) yeah uh to be mixing together and but i guess only the uh vinyl chloride is the one that is hardcore listed as a carcinogen. Whereas I bet you the, the the other adhesives and plastics, if you burned them in high enough concentrations, were probably also carcinogens. But yeah, uh, you know, the one that has all the warning labels on it. <laughs> yeah, the vinyl chloride is uh, interesting because it's it's a very simple chemical and um, very impressive. Whoever discovered that this can be turned into vinyl like you know Mm -hmm. like your records that are in vogue someone had to make the batman costume right um it is just a double bonded carbon so there's there's two carbons with each other they're double bound together so they share two electrons i guess they share four electrons Mm -hmm. you could imagine one of the carbons also has a chlorine atom attached to it 
when it goes through its processing to get uh, polycarbon, uh, wait, what is it? Polyvinyl chloride, mm-hmm. uh, PVC, like PVC pipe. Yeah. Um, or the pellets. Or, yeah. Or the pellets or the stuff for records. Um, the processing breaks that double bond. So then the carbons are then bound uh, instead of twice to each other, just once to each other. That extra electron that they now have free juts out to the opposite sides where they can then bind to new carbons for another block of a carbon-carbon with a chlorine on top of it. So it's just kind of this this long chain of uh, hydrocarbons with a chlorine in it that stabilizes it as like this plastic that is... I mean, like PVC is considered very safe as long as you're not mm-hmm. melting it down right yeah like yeah and in fact it's like the preferred building method in homes and everything over what we used to do with like uh iron piping and uh yeah metal pipes and even like clay pipes and stuff that we used to use for sanitary sewer yeah so it's it's like a you know very good uh plastic and they and the the um, kind that you buy for pipes and like home depot in the store or for specific types of um, plumbing use they are treated like it's uh, it has like coatings on the on on it that treats it too so that it's not breaking down into the particulate uh pvc pieces and getting inside of the water or whatever that you're drinking yeah sure i'm sure that works totally fine um <laughs> <laughs> the microplastic issue that's clogging up our pores is <laughs> yeah the, those microplastics are just floating around in the atmosphere that you're breathing in and getting in all your little orifices when you go swimming in the lakes or oceans right yeah lakes especially yeah. um uh so the the thing that's interesting about this one too is that it's uh highly flammable and when it catches on fire it releases uh, two things mostly that are like extremely dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first off, uh, vinyl chloride burns at eight degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, I was gonna say so the, the its phase change is <laughs> it's boils. It's like nothing yeah. else. <laughs> yes, uh, it it boils at eight degrees Fahrenheit, so it is uh, shipped in liquid frozen form, uh, and you can also be. OSHA allows the permissible limit of exposure for an eight-hour shift at one part per million, um, which is like kind of a heavy, that's a high-ish dosage yeah, yeah. when you're talking about like how exposed you are. Yeah, and I'm, I'm uh, sure they're talking about that for like in the warehouse application right. type of environment, not in the open air environment. Totally different. Um, unless you have a weather inversion uh, mm, that is just going to mm, trap it all. Mm, you mean that we can trap? Feet. There's like can be like different pressures at different elevations, and it can uh, hold things close to the surface. <laughs> right. Um, so I think what was it like? There, there's a ton of this stuff. Like what over a hundred thousand gallons, probably mm-hmm. that they're burning off. Yeah, like a hundred. Um, I was reading about a hundred twenty thousand. And in combustion, it it changes. So whenever you light things on fire, there's like chemical changes because you're you're exciting those 
molecules up to such a degree that they're vibrating so fast that bonds start breaking apart and then reforming and all that kind of stuff. That's what happens. Um, an important thing that you need for combustion uh, is oxygen. And uh, so what happens whenever you combust something, you light it on fire, uh, you're going to be introducing oxygen to the equation. So now you have uh, phosgene, <laughs> car carbonyl chloride, which is now a carbon bound to two different chlorines and then double bound to an oxygen. And um, when this liquid is released, it quickly turns into a gas and stays close to the ground and spreads rapidly uh, in low-lying areas, such as, you know, a river valley. Mm -hmm. um, this one is uh, carcinogenic. Uh, it is an insidious poison. Um, and the odor cannot necessarily be noticed. Uh, the odor detection threshold is 0.4 parts per million. So it has to be 0.4 parts per million for you to be able to smell it in the air. Mm -hmm. Um, but the permissible limit for how much you're allowed to be exposed to is uh, 0.1 part per million. Okay. So, so only 400 times the, or 40 times the allowable limit is when you can notice it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's four times the thresholds. And uh, it also, like, it has a high toxicity that um, it, it binds to, like, OH... Uh, it binds to nitrogen. It binds to silicon groups of proteins that are in your lungs. So right where they're like doing gas exchange, it forms chemicals there and binds with those. Um, so essentially this, this stuff is like very bad, uh, causes cancer and causes lung problems. Um, and you can't smell it mm -hmm. <laughs> and it stays in low areas for a long, long time. Uh, so, uh, do you want to be exposed to phosgene, Josh? I mean, as long as I'm not a little tiny fish, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things, like the, the carcinogen part of it, um, I think pretty much everyone listening has experience with cancer, right? Yeah, I, um, I think everyone, like the numbers are like at least one out of every three people has some form of cancer as dealt with some sort of cancer treatment. Right. So you can close shop, Susan G. Komen. Yeah. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Everybody knows. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, it is, it's like carcinogens can form, can cause like uh, serious forms of rapidly developing cancer. But that's still like, even if you're, if you know someone who has had like a cancer, super aggressive cancer that attacked them, it still takes a few months for you to notice. And, mm -hmm. you know, typically at that point, it's like too late to do anything if it's the type that develops within a few months. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. This It's hard to like describe all of this stuff because there's so much potential for the science and then the politics and everything. But I think this is this exactly is where like the intersection of politics and science is so important because you can see people like uh not trump but like the other people maybe epa people have been 
showing videos of them like drinking the tap water. Yeah, yeah. Like it's totally fine. Yeah, um, like Obama going to Flint and drinking the water. Yes. Yeah. Uh, totally discounting the fact that it's like the people who live there have to live with some of that water. And, you know, the other thing like that I think is misreported online especially is like oh yeah it's going to get into this river and this is where people get the water most people there don't get their water from the ohio river mm-hmm. right I'm, I'm not sure how the water sh- like there was a lot of disinformation or people just not understanding how watershed analysis worked when that initially when it initially happened and people being like look it's close to this river that means the entire mississippi river is going to be contaminated in a few weeks right, yeah yeah and I don't think no. That's not how it works. I think there are obviously um, reservoirs and pump stations and water treatment plants that are fed by the Ohio River. Just like like Dallas is pretty much it is the Trinity, uh, you know. But it's a huge, huge water treatment facility, and they have multiple ones going down the line as the water is getting treated before, and then it's repumped back in and treated again. Um, I would be less concerned about the drinking water just because of those processes that I, that that level of redundancy would probably at least assuage some of my anxiety about contaminants. I would right. be much more concerned about the uh, airborne and then just little things like if it's soil contamination that that gets spread through rain, but maybe it doesn't make it to like the actual water t- water uh, supply line but if that means that like now the rain has spread some of this stuff and it's like in my backyard do I want my kids like digging a flower bed back there Th- those yeah. those types of things would be more like present in my mind if I was a resident there than the water issue yeah like just being exposed to this stuff that's the thing it's like it's uh, again it attacks the the gas exchange proteins Mm. in your lungs so it's not you're not inhaling water uh that you're drinking out of the faucet um although if you did inhale contaminated water you would die from drowning right yes that is uh very toxic (laughs) um (laughs) and uh but i think the the importance of understanding like phosgene is that it's not the catchy name one like the I saw so much talk about the hydrogen chloride, which is just a hydrogen bound with a chlorine atom. And uh, those break apart and form uh, hydrochloric acid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what people's fascination with acid rain is. Yeah, um, we, well, we've talked about like the hydrochloric acid rain before as part of like the water cycle and other things uh, and like in the releases of volcanoes and other stuff of, of how this phenomenon happens. But it's I guess people associate acid with like if it's not a drug, people always associate it with like a vat of acid that turns someone into a supervillain or what, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hydrochloric acid's not great. You definitely no, no. don't want to stick your hand in a, a jar of it, but it's like, it's, it's not that you're only going to have rain that is only acid coming down and it's going to melt the top of your car and then, uh, burn you. Um, but it's like, it's still one of those things that causes 
body tissue problems that if it gets into your lungs, mm. it's going to rip up your lungs. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, it's important to also know, like there are actual bad <laughs> chemicals, uh, being burned off in this situation. And it's just like hitting the entire Northeast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You were telling me about the atmospheric spread. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing, like my sister lives in New York now and she was just saying that everybody was complaining about their throat hurting. Um, people who, who like lived around the region were also complaining about having like a chemically chalky taste in their mouth and Mm -hmm. coughing and everything. Um, and you know, to quote the president of physicians for social responsibility, Pennsylvania, uh, the air isn't supposed to smell like anything. If you can taste it, it's already in your bloodstream. Mm, mm-hmm. So uh, considering that like people were reporting out that they can taste the chemicals in the air from 10 miles away, um, I don't know. It seems like... Well, yeah, that's, and then that gets into the, the phony mitigation stuff that Norfolk Southern is doing to try to cover right. their ass by setting up like the, uh, the little tent clinics in East Palestine for the people to go to if they have symptoms. But there's like, they're not staffed with doctors. They don't have any treatments. <laughs> it's just like people are going to be like, yeah, I, my throat's burning and I have a headache. And they're like, cool, thanks for coming by. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's cool photo op when they get like the aerial shot of all the white tents around you know look what we're doing we're curing all the people yeah it's it's just a master class in uh modern <laughs> crisis management because it's there's so much theater going on um when it was like a you know i can't you can't say it's a hundred percent preventable issue but no. Last week I was sharing those photos of like the the train derailments in Japan that they were considering major uh like serious accidents and it's like the the train jumped off the track 3 inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and there's there's no cars up, you know, destroyed, wrecked or anything. No walls were wrecked. Um the conductor was able to stop the train and get out and check what happened himself. <laughs> uh so yeah, it's it's one of those things that's like pretty preventable, but the profit is too strong. Well, and I think when people have been comparing it to other disasters, you know, my the one that comes to my mind is Three Mile Island. Um, just because that wasn't it's not Chernobyl, you know, a bunch of people didn't get acute radiation poisoning and die within days of the event no one died in an act in the actual explosion type of thing it it did it's not going to render that place uninhabitable for the next hundred years or anything like that yeah um but that's why like three mile island was significant from the standpoint that it was nuclear technology for nuclear power stations and that became the political issue was is this a viable technology that we should use is it too risky you know to even move forward with this should we go all back to coal powered um, electric plants and all that type of stuff so if this had been not just moving chemicals you know if this had been some other level of 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 infrastructure thing i wonder if it would have been taken more seriously 
like like planes are taken way more seriously than this, even though they handle <laughs> much less hazardous waste <laughs> on the whole than, than trains do. Um, it, it's it's just weird how the prioritization is uh, things that are not often seen um, or often interacted with, especially because Americans don't use rail like as a commuter thing very much. Um, they just aren't prioritized in our heads. And, and we probably ignorantly think that they are being operated with some level of like safety redundancy and guidelines and things that and people are held to account if they fuck up you know and there's fines and penalties and all that stuff but it's only when things like this happen where you're like oh wow they they actually aren't <laughs> there there isn't any guiding hand on this on this shit yeah i mean like the um the david sirota person uh reporter he was going through detailing like all of the different regulation stuff that's been rolled back that it wasn't until 2015 that the Obama administration was issuing transportation rules um, that defined high hazard flammable trains. And those were only Um, the, the condition was that was that everyone needed to do them by 2023 or 2024. Like don't do them right away. (laughs) <laughs> right exactly that's the insane thing <laughs> just in the next um, decade think about it the the like definition of high hazard flammable trains um was not expanded in the way that the ntsb requested it be expanded yeah um because of lobbying like well and that's the thing uh, that i found out in the ntsb like they have a lot more power and influence over airlines like they're their recommendations and their reports for airlines are taken as like gospel. This has to be done or you, these planes are never flying again. Whereas, yeah. And that has to just be because of the proximity to passengers and everything is done like on a, on a human level with air travel, whereas not so much on trains, at least in America. And so it's just not a priority. I mean, it's it's very clearly like one of those things if you're comparing, um, you know, your favorite holiday, 9-11 to uh, COVID, you know, mm-hmm. it's that's like the exact same kind of issue. It's like, OK, it, a plane crashes, uh, everybody dies. So snap, 175,000 people died uh, compared to now a, at least one town of 5,000 people have the potential of like all developing cancer um, for generations because it's poisoned their grass. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's, you know, it's insane that it's allowed. uh, But again, the, the money talks, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, I, I don't know. I considering like the they wanted the rules put in place and uh, the Obama admin didn't put it in place unless it had a train with twenty cars and a single block carrying hazardous materials. Mm-hmm. So okay, let's just break those up with one uh, train car with plastic pellets in it. Well, you know. the thing that was funny in reading about it too was that those breaks systems those modern brake systems were initially proposed by the train companies 
Yeah, because they were saying, look, if we put these modern brake systems on the trains, we don't need to pay for all these government inspectors to look at every single car to check all the brakes. These things are so foolproof that no one would even have to inspect our trains and we don't have to pay inspector fees anymore. That was the original lobbying angle. So they got that. And then Obama, the administration was like, cool, sounds good to us. Why don't you just do them on all the trains and we won't inspect you at all anymore? And then they were like, wait, oh, hold on a second. That would be a, that'd be pretty expensive to also actually install them. We want you to do the thing where, like, if we say we're going to install them, you promise not to inspect our trains anymore. And then it's up to us <laughs> if we ever do <laughs> install them. That's the way we want it to be. And then Trump was like, yeah. okay, I think, you know... The, the sunset on these regulations hasn't come yet. Let's hurry up and wipe that out so you guys don't have to worry about it anymore. So, I mean, that it's it's like insane to me that <laughs> that's that's the angle that it has to be like, uh, I don't know. It's it's frustrating just because uh, these things shouldn't be in private company hands to begin with. Yeah. What, what was wasn't like the is it? rail lines that in the u.s like the the government for uh not obviously not paying people enough and using slave labor to build the train rail lines train lines and everything but didn't the u.s government like build all of these and then just hand them over to companies to operate yeah the 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 way that i understand it was that this the rail the railroad building enterprise was one of the first great uh, private public partnerships of america's uh manu or america's uh industry industriousness those private public partnerships where you basically take a lot of taxpayer money and give it to a private company to do something yeah I, it's <laughs> And then it's the government, then then Ulysses S. Grant is like, guys, you promised me that you'd be all the way to Santa Fe by now. And you're still stuck back, you know, you're still stuck in the Midwest. What's going on? And then they're like, ah, oh, but, you know, if we could just get a little more of that taxpayer money, we'd be able to really finish these miles faster. And they'd be like, okay, here's some more. Just get to Cheyenne. And, I'll, and then the next installment will come, you know. And then they'd be like, ah. Yeah. Oh, Man, we we accidentally blew up all of our slave workers trying to do this tunnel through the Rocky Mountains. It's going to be another delay, sir. <laughs> the Mormons attacked our train and killed everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Mormons actually attacked a train and killed yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody. Um, that's a real thing. It is, is a um, real story, yes. So, oh, this is this is the other thing. The uh the like brake lines, I, I quoted earlier that it would cost three billion dollars, which was two weeks of operating revenue. Um, but that's that's the lobbying group's cost estimate. Right, right. They're, that's them being um, exaggerating. Look at how egregious this would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the actual brake requirement would cost about half a billion dollars. So, um, what is that? Two days worth of revenue. <laughs> But see, the way you do it, the way you run a company is you do 362 days of business at break even a year. And then those two days are just for your pro. That's you. You get two days for you. Yeah. I need you to come teach me how to run a painting business. <laughs> just just always think of it every day. You just break an even except for like a couple days. And then you get the, to keep all that money. Well, how are we going to fix this? Uh, 
Probably not. It's, nothing's going to change. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, uh, when when the, the only chance that probably any of this had of uh, of being a little bit better was uh, to not stop the uh, train labor strikes from a few months ago. And oh. when uh, when our our beloved president decided to uh, step in and handle that situation, uh, I think it just sort of put the nail in the coffin for maybe the next century for any type of regulation to the railroad industry. Yet another uh, Catholic pro labor president. <laughs> well, maybe maybe he's got some good ideas on how to how to uh, how to stimulate the economy with. Uh, you know, I keep hearing nobody wants to work anymore, but what if we get them fixing these railroads? Honestly, um, not a bad idea. <laughs> right? What if we lower, what if we raised the age of retirement to like 85 and then we okay, lowered the age of when you could start working to like eight years old? Isn't West Virginia? We'd, we'd probably have a lot more that? rail workers. Yeah. Man, this whole thing is just it's it's a cluster for sure. Uh it's it just makes you wonder that. like how the heck did they ever build all that worldwide circumnavigating track for Snowpiercer? Like how did that even happen? Uh yeah, you got me beat. I don't know. <laughs> Haven't seen that movie. You should watch it. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's also a good movie about how sometimes you just need child labor to run a train. <laughs> They, they're, their hands they got, can just fit in those small spaces where like an adult's hands can't get to, you know, if you need to grease a gear or whatever. It's, yeah. It's just better yeah. suited for a child. Man. Ugh. Just bummed out. <laughs> bummed out on this whole thing. <laughs> well, don't worry. You'll get to build a snowman this weekend. Yeah, I saw it's uh, it's hailing in part of L.A., so I hope it comes to me. But we're near the coast. like. You know, you th- we're too close. You think the ocean's going to gonna freeze? You're going to be able to ice skate on the ocean? I would love it if the ocean froze. Like mid mid wave, it just like, like all froze. Yes. Yes. And you could just yeah. like slide down it like a playground slide. That would be great. Um, there were not a whole lot of hills for sledding. Like it never snowed enough to have a good sledding hill mm. when I was a kid. But we did the... The thing where we took the trucks off the skateboards. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's the move. And go to the golf course. Wax them up. We well, we just do that in the summer on the grass. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you could do that too. Um, well, I feel like I had something else on this train, but oh, oh, that's right. How was uh, how was Big Boy <laughs> in East Palestine doing? Oh, hitting up all the. All the McDonald's <laughs> giving everybody and a hat. Uh, and he was like, and you know what, guys, I heard that water's nasty. You're not gonna want to drink this water for a long time. So what I've done is I've brought first installments on me, pallet of Trump bottled water, got it for you guys. First one's on me. You know, if you want to keep doing this, you know, I've already got the order set up. It's just gonna be a little bit of a little bit of cost on your end, but at least you'll have clean water. You know, for the foreseeable future, if you just keep doing Trump branded bottled water, and which he just took did, out of the Hudson River, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what did uh, What did Pete do though when he visited? 
Uh, he was there this morning touring the damage and promising that uh, we're not going to do uh, just a half-hearted cleanup effort here. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. And it's not it's... my fault that I've been working hard. I've been on their butts trying to get them to do these regulations, but my hands are tied. Previous administration got rid of them all. What am I, what am I supposed to do? My hands are tied. Rewrite them? <laughs> they deleted the files and emptied the recycling bin. <laughs> it's just impossible. It's impossible to figure out what to do now. No, that that's yeah. the other funny thing, or not funny thing, but like it was a priority of Pete's agenda and to get those regulations back online. And he had set up multiple meetings to, you know, finalize getting this, getting these regulations back instated. And that meeting kept getting pushed off and it kept getting pushed off. And so the last time it was supposed to happen was like uh, in December of 2022. And then it got delayed until March of this year. So in between, <laughs> he just keeps putting it off. So I don't know if it'll happen now because, you know, the derailment happened or if, you know, it'll be another reason to push it off. We can't figure out the regulations now. We're still trying to investigate what what happened. Don't Don't politicize this tragedy. Yeah, we're just... We're relying on the NTSB to just come in here and be a neutral investigative party. And they're definitely not going to say things like it's because of deregulation and politicized underfunding and us allowing the rail workers to be decimated as, <laughs> as, a, as a labor force. They're not going to say that because none of that had anything to do with this because that's politicizing it. It's, it's impressive that they were beaten by Trump <laughs> to get there. Just show up, you know? Well, I mean, Biden, Biden got there first. What did he do? He did the tour. I, I saw him with Zelensky. I didn't know Zelensky. Yeah, was yeah. That, Zelensky came to Ohio, and that's when they did their walkabout. You know, as, I mean, as, you know, Malcolm and, and Martin. Biden went there, but there has been no FEMA or uh, other sort of... And now that, that Help, one's like a know? confusing one, too, because Biden offered FEMA and federal aid to the governor right when it happened. Yeah. And the governor said, thanks, but no thanks. We're fucking Ohio. We got this. Yeah, it should be. It's it's the federal <laughs> agency. Right. But, but <laughs> Abbott did the same fucking shit in Texas, too. I know. But that's again, again, <laughs> state sovereignty, bro. This is a republic. Oh my god. Not a democracy. <laughs> they I mean, how does the governor like refuse it though? Is it just he's getting money from the rail lobby? Oh, uh, maybe. Or you don't want to cause a pain. Or or I mean, who knows like what all the uh the greasing of wheels that goes along with the federal government offering you FEMA aid to your state. If you've already are, have like a, especially if you have an antagonistic relationship with the federal government, like Texas does, like uh, I could certainly see there being uh, methods at which you as uh, a jerk conservative would all of a sudden feel like, man, I don't want to owe that, that fucking liberal any favors. <laughs> Yeah, because that's, that's going to make works. me look bad if I try to get reelected. Like, oh, guess who owns him now? He's sold out to the federal government, and he's he's just Biden's little butt boy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, I need to turn off my recording because I'm about to say some things. <laughs> well, next week, awesome stuff came out on James Webb. I don't know if you, uh, not the person, the telescope. There's nothing awesome that came out about the person. Um, I don't know if you saw any of the stuff from yesterday or this morning. No. Um, but they got, uh, they've worked through all the data from the first deep field um, that they did looking all the way back to the furthest earliest point to the Big Bang that could go, 13.57 billion years into the past. And they found shit that's supermassive galaxies, and they have no idea how the fuck that happened. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Shit's getting fucked up in astrophysics. We're, about to, we're at the point where we're like, well, we finally got to see past just a little bit further into the past where we used to see that we formed all of our other ideas on and oh shit, it's not working anymore. 99.5% <laughs> of our models said this is impossible. So uh, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so next week, it'll be a fun one. All righty. Good job, well, Eric. Um, I just, I felt like I didn't deliver on this uh, just because I was sick and then, you know, but, then everyone else okay. scooped us because we were going to be the first ones to talk about it. And then everyone else is like, hey, did you realize not even riding the tourists talked about this a week ago? Maybe everyone should talk about it now. Yeah. Yeah. Well. All right. Choo-choo. <laughs> Bye.